As you're opening up your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 18, I want you to remember how many times you've seen the phrase, the day of the Lord, so far in Jeremiah. Over and over and over again, right? Why? Who knows why? It says the day of the Lord is pointing us to what's, what happened before is going to happen again. When it says... Exactly. When it points it to the day, Lord is telling us what's happened before will happen again. Ecclesiastes, right? Chapter 1 and chapter 3 of Ecclesiastes. Think about it for a moment. Jeremiah is about the Babylonian captivity. Isaiah talks about the Babylonian captivity. Zephaniah talks about the Babylonian captivity. Why? It's just history. No, it's prophecy. How many waves were there of the Babylonian captivity? How many times did Babylon come down to Jerusalem? Three times. If you're taking notes, make this parallel. The first time Babylon came, God said what? Go with Babylon. And those that were righteous like Daniel and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, at least that's what they got renamed in the land of Babylon, went. They prospered. Things were good for them because they were obedient to the Lord. As we come to the day of the Lord, there's going to be the call for the rapture to bring us up to heaven. That is parallel to that first wave of captivity where God said, when they come for you, go. And those that were left behind, about halfway through, give or take, Babylon comes again and God says, go. The people that went then have come to righteousness since the first wave, right? It's parallel to Matthew 24, 15. We're about halfway through the tribulation period. Messiah says, when you see the abomination and desolation, do what? Go. Leave Jerusalem. Those people that leave Jerusalem became believers after the rapture. But in obedience to God's command through our Messiah Yeshua, they go. And life is pretty good for them. They're protected. Those in the days of the Babylonian captivity that refused to go in both, what happened to them? They were wiped out totally because as much as God pleads with them to repent, what do they say? They say, no, we're not going to repent and you can't make us. In Revelation chapter 16, those that didn't flee Jerusalem at the command of the Lord, when they see abomination and desolation, what did they say when the wrath of God's poured out on them? And they're called to repent. It says they refuse to repent. They shake their fists in God's face. In the days of the Babylonian captivity, when Babylon came in a third time, what happened to all those who had refused to repent? They died. When Messiah returns at the end of the tribulation period, what happens to all those who refuse to repent? They die. Do you see the parallels? In the book of Joel chapter 2, after describing the very horrors of the tribulation period and the wrath of God being poured out, does God call for repentance? He does. He always calls for repentance before that hammer of judgment falls. And what we're going to see in chapter 18 tonight of Jeremiah is just how hard-hearted the people can be. But how loving God is. 
and how the Bible is true. It says in the Old Testament and in the New Testament that God doesn't want any to perish. God does not take the pleasure in the death even of an unrighteous person. He gives people every opportunity to repent. And when they absolutely stone cold refuse, then what choice does he have? If he refuses to judge them, then he becomes what? A liar. He becomes an unrighteous judge. Is there any unrighteousness in God? There is not. We're going to come back and read the end of chapter 17 in a few minutes when we come to the right point. But I want to start at the start of chapter 18, verse 1. And I want you to know that the English is bad. But the English doesn't convey what the Hebrew conveys. It's much worse in the Hebrew. See, I have a question out there. Let me check and see what it is. Well, thank you. It was just a glad you're back. Chapter 18, verse 1. The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying. There's actually a word they've left out there. The Hebrew reads, the word which came to Jeremiah from with the Lord saying. So it's very clear that the word was with the Lord and the word left the Lord to bring a message to Jeremiah. And that word saying means what? These words came right from the Lord's own lips. Did Messiah ever tell us, when I speak, well, you don't really have to pay attention because I change my mind a lot. Or did he say, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall never pass away. Where did he say that? Turn to the book of Matthew, chapter 24, verse 35. If you have a red letter edition, the letters are red. They're Messiah's own words. Heaven and earth will pass away, which goes right back to Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 and 18 and 19. But my words will by no means pass away. That reminds me of Proverbs 28, verse 9. Let's go back there. No, let's go instead to Psalms. Let's go to Psalms. Go to Psalms. 89 verse 34. We'll go there. I don't want to get ahead of myself and repeat things too much. So Psalm 89 verse 34 says, My covenant I will not break nor alter the word that has gone out of my lips. When you hear theologians today say, Well, yeah, yeah, that was true in the Old Testament, but God changed his mind. God says, I don't change my mind. When I speak, I know what I speak, I mean what I speak, and it never changes. Give me another verse that says it doesn't change. Malachi 3.6. Keep your finger in Psalms, though, because you're coming right back. Yep. There's all kinds of places, right? Malachi 3.6 says, For I am the Lord, I do not change. I don't change. Psalm 119, verse 89. See, I told you to be going back to Psalm. Psalm 119. Psalm 119, verse 89. 
We need to be thankful that God does not change. What if God decides he's only going to save blonde people? Or short people? Or skinny people? Some of you are okay, but I'm in real trouble. Yeah. Psalm 119.89 says, Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. What does that say about the word of God is going to change? It's going to flip-flop. He can't be counted on because he can't make up his mind. When God speaks, it is done. That's what it means in Genesis chapter 15 that Abraham believed God and God accounted for righteousness. The very words mean when God spoke, Abraham believed that God would follow through and do what he said. Come back to Jeremiah 18. I know I'm getting all excited already, but I know what's coming. Say that again. I said... I know I'm getting excited already, but that's because I know what's coming. <clears throat> Jeremiah 18.1, where we started. The words came to Jeremiah from with the Lord, saying, Arise. Arise, there is a command. God is not pleased. He's telling the prophet, get up. It's time to go deliver another message. The Lord has just poured out his heart that if you will just keep the Sabbath. And he knows what the answer is going to be. Well, let's keep reading. Arise and go down to the potter's house. And there I will cause you to hear my words. What does that mean? Go to the potter's house, and I'm going to give you a revelation. He doesn't want to tell the prophet why or what he's going to say. The prophet may say, my, I don't want to go give that message. They're already trying to kill me. It is a test of faith, too. You've got to go, and then I will deliver the message to you. That's exactly right. And there I will cause you to hear my words. The verb I will cause you to hear is he feel. It's causative. God will cause those words to echo in your ears. Have you ever had, what do they call it, an earworm? <laughs> Where a song just goes through your mind all night long. You're trying to sleep and all you can hear is the theme to Gilligan's Island. That's what it is. I'm going to cause you to hear whether you want to hear it or not. Remember, Jeremiah is already saying, Lord, they want to kill me. They want to kill me. He said, just get up and go. Then I went down to the potter's house, and there he was making something at the wheel. What was he making at the wheel? It doesn't matter. It's an illustration, if you will. A parable of sorts. Thinking of the Lord as the potter, and we are the clay. That's an illustration used many places in the scripture. So I went down to the potter's house and there he was making something at the wheel. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. How many of you know what this vessel is in this particular parable? Israel. Israel. Mm -hmm. Is Israel perfect in God's eyes? No. Is it God's fault that they're not perfect? 
In Isaiah, did he say, I planted you in a good land, I, I cleared it of rocks, I put a hedge around it, I watered it, I fed it, I, I put you in there as the best of seeds, and what did you do? You came out with bad fruit. So that which God had created to be perfect, to worship him with their whole heart, have turned away from God was marred in the hand of the potter, so he made it again into another vessel. Suppose, you've seen the movie Ghost, right? Where Demi Moore's making this thing on a potter's wheel and suddenly it just kind of collapses. What does the potter do when the thing that he's making just kind of collapses? You put it back into the, uh, the ball of clay and you start over. Where did God call Abraham out from? From the Ur of the Chaldees, which is there at Babylon. He brought Abraham out to be that clean, pure vessel. To start a nation that worshipped God and God alone. And when the vessel decided they didn't want to be that nice, pure vessel, God sends them back to Babylon. Back to where Abraham was called out of. Abraham was called to leave pagan idolatry behind. They want it, so he sends them back there to learn the lesson that what do the pagan idols do for them? Not a thing, nothing, not a blooming thing. He wants them to learn that lesson. God uses this illustration a lot. Let's go back to Psalm. Before I go, something that caught your eye. It doesn't say he took the lump of clay and threw it out. No, he doesn't do that. And bring in a new lump of clay to replace it. No, he does not. He wants to remold that piece of clay. He wants Israel to repent. He wants them to come back to him as we're going to find. You're absolutely right. Psalm chapter 2. Psalm chapter 2. Verses 7 to 9. Psalm 2, verses 7 to 9. It says, I will declare the decree. The Lord has said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask me and I'll give you the nations for your inheritance, the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. God had every right to do that, as Daniel was just talking about. He could have destroyed that piece of pottery, thrown it out, made it trash, and brought in a new piece of clay to begin anew. He had that power. He had that authority, but that's not his desire. What does the scripture say in 2 Peter? Let's turn to 2 Peter chapter 3. What does God want? He's not willing to force us, but what does he want? He wants repentance. Second Peter chapter 3. Verse 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promises. Some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. If God wanted to
to destroy that which was impure and imperfect. He could have just, like Daniel said, just taken that piece of clay and destroyed it, smashed it, thrown it away. Instead, he wants to remold it. He wants them to repent and come back to him, which is God's plea in chapter 17 and 18. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 29. Isaiah chapter 29. Verse 16. Isaiah 29, verse 16. Oh. I can't read this without thinking of Leslie Nielsen. Don't call me Shirley. But that's what it says here. Surely you have things turned around. Shall the potter be esteemed as the clay? Meaning, shall we think that the potter is no better than the clay? For shall the thing made say of him who made it, he did not make me? What? We evolved from monkeys? What? Or shall the thing formed say of him who formed it? He has no understanding. Hey, we say to the potter, you're stupid. You shouldn't have made such a bad vessel. It's your fault. No, God says, don't talk to me like that. Surely you have things turned around. If there's a defect in the pot, is it the fault of the Lord or is it the fault of the clay? Fault of the clay. Go to Isaiah chapter 30, verses 8 to 17. Isaiah's talking more about the potter and the clay. Isaiah chapter 30, beginning verse 8 says, Now go write it before them on a tablet and note it on a scroll, that it may be for time to come forever and ever. How long does God want us to remember this principle? Forever and ever. What's that in Hebrew? Leolam va'ed. Leolah means until the age that's coming, and Va'ed means an ever after that, never ending. Verse 9, that. Here's why God wants the prophet to write that will never ever be forgotten. That this is a rebellious people, lying children, children who will not hear the Torah of the Lord. Wait a minute. Why did God say in verse 8 forever and ever? Why didn't he say until Messiah is crucified? What do you think he meant? Forever and ever. Woe to the seers, that is the prophets, who say to the seers, do not see. What do all the prophets prophesy? Repent. When they say don't prophesy to us, they mean quit telling us to repent. Tell us that it's okay. That God loves us anyway. That God wouldn't call people to repentance. And to the prophets, do not prophesy to us right things. Well, if they don't want to prophesy right things, what do they want to prophesy? Ear tickling stuff. That's 2 Timothy chapter 4. And to the prophets, they continue saying, speak to us smooth things. Something flattering to our ears. Prophesy deceits, meaning lie to us. We like it. Get out of the way. Turn aside from the path. Cause the Holy One of Israel to cease from before us. That's what the people are crying out to the prophets. 
don't tell us to repent. Tell us we can continue in our sin and it's going to be just fine. Don't make us follow God's path. Let us go the way we want. Cause the Holy One of Israel, Isaiah 12, is sure that that is our Messiah Yeshua, to cease from before us. Yes, sir. In verse 11 where it says to cease, that's Shabbat. Yeah, that is the verb. Yeah. So it's like people are telling, telling God, like, take a break. Take a break. <laughs> you yeah. Shabbat. Telling God, yeah, don't tell us to Shabbat, you Shabbat. That's going to come exactly back to Jeremiah chapter 17. But carrying in verse 12, therefore thus says the Holy One of Israel. What does therefore mean? Uh-oh. Are they going to get it? Because you despise this word. Which word? Torah. We just saw it in verse 9. The law of the Lord. Because you despise Torah. You despise God's instruction. And trust in oppression and perversity. Oh, they want to hear that sexual immorality is fine. Idolatry, no problem. And rely on them. Therefore, this iniquity. What's another word for iniquity? Lawlessness, Matthew 7, 23, lawlessness shall be to you like a breach, like a parrot's ready to fall. That is like the wall of Jerusalem ready to just cave in. Meaning what? Is God saying an army's going to come destroy you if you keep it up? Yepper. A bulge in a high wall whose breaking comes suddenly in an instant. It shall break it like the breaking of the potter's vessel which is broken in pieces, he shall not spare. So what verse 14 is telling us is God does not want to destroy that piece of pottery, but if you force him to, he will have to. So there shall not be found among his fragments a shard to take fire from the hearth. Meaning what? How big is this destruction going to be when it comes? There ain't going to be anybody left. In the third wave of the Babylonian captivity, how many people were left in Jerusalem? Zero, zip, none. God tells us in prophecy after prophecy, you can repent or this is what's coming. Not a shard to take fire from the hearth or to take water from the cistern. What's a shard? It's a piece of pottery that's big enough left to do this. Was there anyone left that had been in Jerusalem? The answer is yes, Jeremiah and a couple righteous that were with him. Of those that refused to repent, not a one survive. Verse 15, for thus says the Lord God, which is actually my Lord, the Lord, the Holy One of Israel, in returning and rest you shall be saved. God never destroys without calling for repentance. God says, if you were to return, repent, and rest in me, then you can be saved. In quietness and confidence shall be your strength, but you would not. Meaning you said what? No. I'm not gonna, and you can't make me. Verse 16, you said no, for he will flee on horses, therefore you shall flee. Not on horses, but you're going to flee all right. And you say, we will ride on swift horses. Therefore, those who pursue you shall be swift. One thousand, that is one thousand of you, 
shall flee at the threat of one of the enemy. At the threat of five you shall flee. To your left is a pole on top of a mountain as a banner on a hill. That makes me think of a particular little hilltop in Israel down at Beth Shen. There's one scraggly little tree at the top of the hill. Looks like it's dead, but it's been there for a long, long time. That was the tree they used in the movie Jesus Christ Superstar for the crucifixion scene. And when they got to the part in the story where the sky went dark, the sky went dark. And when they got to the part of the earthquake, there was a huge earthquake, and a guy portraying Yeshua got saved right there on that tree. He really did. It was something to see. Okay, I digress. Isaiah 64. You know, it's, I know that the United States is not Israel, but right? it's hard not to see some parallels here. Well, you know what? We're going to get to a point in Jeremiah 18 that talks about any nation. So it's not just Israel. And that's why the Babylonian captivity pictures the events of the end times. Who does God call to repent now? Everybody. Everybody, yep. That we read that up to that point of Messiah's death, burial, and resurrection, there were some things God overlooked, but now causes, calls all men everywhere to repent. Remember that scripture? Okay, Isaiah 64, verse 8. Isaiah 64, verse 8. But now, O Lord, you are our Father. Does that make you think of Malachi? If I'm your Father, where's my honor? You are our Father. We are the clay, and you are our potter. And all we are the work of your hand. What has come between what we read early in Isaiah and chapter 64? The answer is repentance. That's why, but now. Things will change. Israel will repent and come back to God. And recognize that, yes, Lord, you are the potter. You had the authority. We're the clay. The defect was in us. Just like we read in Hosea chapters 5 and 6. Go to Romans chapter 9. The same illustration is used in the New Testament. Romans chapter 9, verse 21. To give us a running start at it, let's start in verse 14 of chapter 8. Well, that's a big running start in it. Romans chapter 8. We'll, chapter 8. Yeah. We'll go to chapter 9, but I want a run in first. I want a background. So starting in Romans 8, verse 12. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh, which means stop sinning. Sin never got us anywhere. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Abba means Daddy. It's a very intimate term. 
So Paul's saying, you're not looked upon by God anymore as slaves. You're looked at as loving children. Who obeys the father, the slave or the child? Both, but for different reasons. The slave out of fear, the child out of love. John 14, 15 doesn't say, if you're terrified of me, keep my commandments, does it? It says, if you love me, keep my commandments. Now go to Romans 9, 21. Does not the potter have power over the clay? From the same lump to make one vessel for honor and another for dishonor. Meaning he can make one vessel to put on display and show everybody his handiwork and take the other one and bust it to pieces because it didn't turn out so good. How many of you ever took an art class? Most of us did. Did everything you ever made turn out beautifully that you were so... Uh, no. You're shaking your head going, no, no. We, we smashed a few pieces too. Yeah. Yeah. Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2. Verse 26. Yep, from the seven letters to the seven call out assemblies. Revelation chapter 2, verses 26 to 27. And he who overcomes, where do you find the definition of the overcomer? That's 1 John chapter 5, verses 1 to 5. And keeps my works until the end. Does that mean turns his back on my commandments or keeps my commandments? Keeps them. Tim, I will give power over the nations. He shall rule them with the rod of iron. They shall be dashed to pieces like the potter's vessels. As I also have received from my father. So those words in verse 27 are from Psalm 2. And Messiah says, that power and authority I have from my Father, I will share with you if you're a what? An overcomer. <laughs> Let's go back to 1 John chapter 5 and look and see what it means by being an overcomer. Who wrote 1 John? Is that a trick question? John. Who wrote Revelation? John. Okay, same author... John the Revelator, otherwise known as the Apostle John. 1 John chapter 5, verses 1 to 5. Let me give you a chance to find it. Whoever, what's that word mean? It means any Jewish person, right? No, it means whoever. It's as broad a word as we can say. Whosoever will may come. Whoever believes Yeshua is the Messiah is truly born of God. That's what that means, is truly born of God. And everyone who loves him, the Father, who begot, also loves him, Messiah, Yeshua, who is begotten of him. Which means you can't say, I love God, but I reject Yeshua. Doesn't work that way. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. Why do we keep his commandments? Out of love. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Oh, really? I thought God sent them to enslave us, to make life difficult. No, that's not what they're for. They're not burdensome. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world, 
And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world, but he who believes that Yeshua is the Son of God. Notice, love, faith, and obedience are interspersed like weavings in a tapestry. Inseparable even. Let's go back to Jeremiah. Chapter 18. Verse 5. So Jeremiah obeyed the Lord, went down to the potter's house and saw the potter make a vessel that was flawed and instead of just throwing it out, remakes it, remolds it, tries to bring it back to something good and pure and valuable again. So in verse 5, Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, What's that word saying? It's a quote. Now that Jeremiah has seen the example of the potter and the clay, saying, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter? Meaning, do I not, as the Lord God, have the authority to remake you if I choose to? I could dispose of you, I could shatter you, or I can remold you. Says the Lord, look, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. Meaning what? I can do with you and to you as I choose. Aren't we glad that God is a merciful judge and wants to bring Israel to repentance? Back in Genesis chapter 9, God made another covenant, not just with mankind, but with the very earth itself. And the very heart of that covenant is never again to pour out judgment without mercy. And the rainbow is God's symbol that God will always be merciful in judgment. And he cannot be merciful in judgment without calling for repentance. And that's where we are here. So verse 6 tells us that God is the potter and we are the clay. And he has the ability to make us into whatever he chooses to. Now verse 7 goes back to Nancy's comment. That this isn't just about Israel, is it? America fits under the same umbrella of God's mercy in judgment. Verse 7 says, the instant, take note, the instant, God will not wait forever. If we had continued reading 2 Peter chapter 3, the next verse began with what word? But the day of the Lord comes. So God is long-suffering, but not without judgment finally coming. So the instant I speak concerning a nation, notice any nation, the word there is goy. So it's not specifically aimed at Israel, it's aimed at any nation. To pluck up, to pull down, and to destroy it. 
So God says, anytime I say, I'm going to rip up and destroy a nation like the United States of America, he has that authority. He says, if the instant I say that, we come to verse 8. If that nation against whom I have spoken turns from its evil. That word turns there is shav. It means to repent of their sins and turn back to God. If that nation against whom I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster that I thought to bring upon it. God establishes a principle here with his own words that he will never, ever break. So people look at the fact that God will proclaim judgment on a nation, the nation repents, and he doesn't bring the harm immediately upon them and say, oh, God changed his mind. No. God tells you here, this is his very heart. It's his very intention all along. So if God has said, I will destroy the United States of America and we repent, what will happen? Then God will defer that judgment. I want you to think for a moment about the book of Jonah. When Jonah arrived at Nineveh and started preaching, the people got down in the ashes and started repenting. The theologians tell us that there's something from history that's not recorded in the Bible. And that is that just before Jonah got there, there was a total solar eclipse that passed right over the city of Nineveh, which the world interprets as, uh-oh, we're about to get it. And then here steps God's prophet saying, repent or die. And that that was a big encouragement for them to begin repenting. On, yes, ma'am. Speaking of uh, solar eclipse, we've got one coming in April. Uh, that's going to make an X over the United States. April 8th, yep. That's exactly where I'm thinking. In April 8th, that... Second total solar eclipse. The first one was in 2017. It passed through all those cities with the name of Salem. The one that's coming April 8th also passes through a bunch of cities by the name of Salem, but also eight or ten with the name of Nineveh. Yeah. Mm. Food for thought. And X is right over the New Madrid Fault. Yep. What has our government said most recently? That we are making plans to recognize the Palestinian state over Israeli objections. That we will just go to the United Nations and the nations of the world will declare the Palestinian state to be and Israel will have no say about it. April 8th also, they say, is the first day of the month of Nisan. Okay. But, back to the scriptures and what we know. So verse 8, if that nation against whom I have spoken turns from its evil, that means to repent. I will relent of the disaster that I thought to bring upon it. That word repent there is the word nacham. Nacham, N-A-C-H-A-M. Nacham, it means to comfort. Meaning, I will comfort them 
by diverting the disaster. Why is God saying this in chapter 18? What did he just say in chapter 17? I'll remind you in a minute. So just keep thinking about it. Let's go to Jonah chapter 3 and read verses 1 to 10. Because it's exactly what happens in the book of Jonah. Jonah chapter 3. Jonah's right after Obadiah. If you can find Obadiah, you can find anything. Jonah chapter 3, just verses 1 to 10. I think that, that word, how they translated it as repent instead of relent. Relent is a much better word than repent. You know, I think that gives a false image of who God is. Right. God has nothing to repent of. Right. So that just, that just furthers the, the bad doctrine. Yeah. It just means that if God said, if you don't repent, I'm going to destroy and you repent, God will comfort you and say, okay, thank you. Now that you've repented, you've come back to be my children. Now I can treat you as a loving father. Thank you for that, Daniel. Jonah chapter 3, verse 1 says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh that great city, and preach to it the message that I tell you. Much like what God's saying to Jeremiah, right? Go, and I'll give you the words later. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, not great as in wonderful, but great as in big. A three-day journey in extent, so it took three days to walk from one side of it to the other. And Jonah began to enter the city in the first day's walk. Then he cried out and said, Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. How long? Forty days. Forty is the number of testing. How many years did Israel wander in the wilderness to see if they will be obedient or not? Forty years. So the people of Nineveh believed God, proclaimed a fast, and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. Then word came to the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne and laid aside his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. Isn't that the action of every king and president? No. Don't we wish it was? And caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink water. Wow. Forty days. From the first day of Elul to the day of Yom Kippur, which is a fast. And this Gentile kingdom is going to fast on Yom Kippur. Not even food or water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily to God. Yes, let everyone turn from his evil way. And from the violence that is in his hands. Who can tell if God will turn and relent and turn away from his fierce anger so that we may not perish? Then God saw their empty, futile words. No. Then God saw their works that they turned from their evil way. So what are their works? Repentance. And God relented. There's that same word. Comforts them doesn't change his mind. This is the nature of God. From the disaster they said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. Is that because God changed? No. 
That is the very nature of God. So back to Jeremiah chapter 18. Verse 7 says, How long after God says repent or die do you have? Can you take seven or eight years to think about it? God says the instant. And verse 9, In the instant I speak concerning a nation, concerning a kingdom to build and to plant it, if it does evil in my sight, so God promises a blessing. He promises to establish it, to protect it. But if they turn and do evil in his sight, so that it does not obey my voice, then I will relent concerning the good with which I said I would benefit it. It's a two-way street, isn't it? It's a two-way street, exactly. I was not here at the founding of this nation. You guys know that. I'm not that old. My ancestors were. But what I read in the history books is that this nation was founded on godly principles and God blessed it mightily. And what's happened since you and I, not you, you're too young, but you and I were in elementary school. First they took God out of the schools. They took prayer out of the schools. They took the Pledge of Allegiance out of the schools. They brought in the sexual revolution, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. And this nation has turned against God. What does God say happens to that nation's blessings when they turn away from God to do wickedness? His blessing does what? Dries up. Verse 10. Let's go back to Deuteronomy chapter 28. The comforting part in all, even in this wicked nation, God still has a remnant. The scripture says God always has a remnant. Which prophet was forced to name his son, the remnant shall return? Isaiah. And that was a mouthful, yeah. Yeah, the other one was bad too, but... <laughs> The remnant shall return. How would you like to be called that all your life? I bet they gave him a nickname. I bet they gave him a nickname. Yeah, Wanders. I bet they called him Shabby instead of... Yeah. So Deuteronomy 28, verse 15, But it shall come to pass, if you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God, to observe carefully all his commandments and his statutes, which I command you today, that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. And then you see curse after curse after curse. Why does God bring these curses? Is to try and bring people to repentance. And when they still refuse to repent, despite all that God can do to try and call them to repentance, then what happens? Then they fall as a nation. The nation gets destroyed. Doesn't this fit with the whole illustration of the clay? Of the clay. I mean, if it's marred, if it's marred, has an impurity in it. Has an impurity in it. And that's the purpose of God sending these judgments is to get the impurity. The purpose of God sending the judgment is to remove the impurity and remold the clay back into a vessel of honor. You're absolutely right. 
Let's go to Ezekiel chapter 18. Wait till I turn the recording off and then we'll talk. Ezekiel chapter 18. And of course, we all remember one of Daniel's favorite verses in Psalm 119. What happens when they call the law void? Then judgment comes. Time for him to act. Ezekiel chapter 18, beginning in verse 21. Was Ezekiel before, after, or during the Babylonian captivity? During. So it makes sense that he talks about the same topics. Ezekiel 18, verses 21 to 32. But if a wicked man turns from all his sins, uh-oh, shouldn't we change that to say, but if a wicked man turns from some of his sins? No, it doesn't say that, does it? From all his sins which he has committed, keeps all my statutes and does what is lawful and right, he shall surely live, he shall not die. So repentance which occurs 58 times or so in the New Testament, means what? Stop sinning. Twice in the book of John, Messiah says, sin no more. One says, go and sin no more. The other time it says simply, sin no more. But I'm still looking for the verse where Messiah says, go and sin some more. I can't find it. Do you know why? Because he never said it. He shall surely live, he shall not die. None of the transgressions which he has committed shall be remembered against him. Because of the righteousness which he has done, he shall live. People go, oh, yeah, but that's salvation by works. No, it's not. Why did they repent? Because of their faith and love. You do not repent at the feet of a God in which you do not believe. Verse 23, do I have any pleasure at all that the wicked should die? Do you see that at all? Says the Lord God, and not that he should turn from his ways and live. Is that not what we read in 2 Peter chapter 3? God's pleasure is when a wicked person repents and turns back to God. Jeez, Messiah could even, he gives us a parable like something like, I don't know, a prodigal son. He certainly did, didn't he? Verse 24, but when a righteous man turns away from his righteousness and commits iniquity, iniquity is lawlessness, Matthew 7, 23, and does according to all the abominations that the wicked man does, shall he live? What do you think the answer to that is? No. All the righteousness which he has done shall not be remembered because of the unfaithfulness of which he is guilty, and the sin which he has committed because of them, he shall die. What does that mean, he shall die? No, no, it means he shall lose some of the rewards in heaven. No, it doesn't. It's talking about eternal death in the lake of fire. Verse 25, yet you say the way of the Lord is not fair. So man's saying, Lord, that's not fair to punish people just because they're wicked. Isn't it okay if we sin? 
Hear now, O house of Israel, is it not my way which is fair and your ways which are not fair? When a righteous man turns away from his righteousness, commits iniquity and dies in it, it is because the iniquity which he has done that he dies. In other words, what? He chose. What does it say in Deuteronomy 30? I said before you today, life and good, death and evil, choose life. But you get to choose. But your choice has consequences. You know, God's telling the people right here. God's telling people right here. The choice you make doesn't just fall into your lap. The choice you make doesn't just fall into your lap. And it's not a one-time choice that you can then just waffle all over the place, is it? No. You know, no. In, in a group message this week, there was a website. In a group message this week, there was a website. So not about this guy's false gospel. Yep, what was he saying? That once you get saved, you need to repent and walk upright. And they were attacking him. Why? Yeah, they were attacking for it. And there's a quote from here that I want to read. There's a quote from here that says, The gospel is not a call to repentance. The gospel is not a call to repentance. That's exactly what they said when they attacked the guy. You know, and what is God saying right here? I mean, this is part of the gospel right here. Luke chapter 4, what is the first thing Messiah said after he defeated Satan is, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. So to say the gospel is not a call to repentance does not understand the gospel. It says, if you turn from your righteousness, you're toast, and that you mean literally, as in put through the fire. Yeah. Let's go back and keep reading. Ezekiel continues. It's actually God who continues. Verse 27. Again. Why again? In case you didn't hear it the first time. He's pounding the podium again when a wicked man turns away from the wickedness which he committed and does what is lawful and right. We call that repentance. He preserves himself alive because he considers and turns away from all the transgressions which he committed. He shall surely live. He shall not die. Yet the house of Israel says the way of the Lord is not fair. What are they really saying? Lord, we should be able to walk in sin and be saved anyway. Just through a deathbed confession. That's a very common teaching today, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. The way of the Lord's not fair, O house of Israel, is it not my ways which are fair and your ways which are not fair? Therefore, I will judge you, O house of Israel, everyone according to his ways, says the Lord God. Well, that sounds like Revelation 22, doesn't it? And then he doesn't stop there. He says, what? Repent. In Hebrew, that's shuvu. That's a command. And it's not a command to an individual. It is plural. Y'all. Each and every one of you repent. And turn from all your transgressions so that iniquity will not be your ruin. That means if you don't repent and turn from your transgressions, iniquity will be your ruin. Is that what the Lord says in Matthew 7, 23? Depart from me, I never knew you, you who practice lawlessness. Verse 31, cast away from you all the transgressions which you have committed. Cast away. 
is a very strong verb. It doesn't just mean to toss. It means to throw hard, like you're throwing something away. Cast away from you all the transgressions which you, are, which you have committed and get yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. That's the new covenant. That's circumcision of the heart. That's repentance out of love. For why should you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of one who dies, says the Lord God. Therefore turn and live. I didn't put that exclamation mark there. God did. Huh. It almost sounds like God wants us to repent. You know, something else. And we're, we're after Shuvu. After Shuvu. Hashivu. Hashivu. It's the he feel verb form, which means what? What's he feel? It's God saying, you turn and then cause yourself to turn. So if he didn't emphasize it enough, he's saying, turn yourself and live. Turn and live. Yep, he feel is causative. Cause the action to happen. So repent, turn around, come back to God, make it happen. Isn't that a good way to put it in English? Just make it happen. Just do it. Come back to Jeremiah. Oh, they're about to break my heart, I tell you. Verse 11 says, Now therefore, speak to the men of Judah and to... Nope, the second one's not to. It's now therefore, speak to the men of Judah and about the inhabitants of Jerusalem. So this message is specifically about all those who are still in Jerusalem. Not those who went into captivity because God told them to go. But those who twice have said, no God, we will not do it. You cannot make us. So about the inhabitants of Jerusalem saying, thus says the Lord. That's not right either. It's thus said the Lord. He's told them over and over again. This is not a new saying. This is over and over again. Yes. Thus said the Lord, not thus says. Says is something new. Um, I guess that's the best way I know to say it. Said meaning it's already been said. He's just saying it again. Has he called Israel to repent before in this book? Over and over again. Yeah. Thus said the Lord. Can you look at it too like the prophetic perfect? Except that the rest of the verse is going to talk about the future. So what he's saying is, I've said it before, I'm saying it again, I'm going to keep saying it till you either listen or it's too late. Yeah, it's a way of God saying my message is not going to change. In retrospect, didn't God start out Jeremiah by telling Jeremiah that people would not listen? Yep, sir. He so, told Jeremiah from the start, go talk to him and they won't hear you. But he's, he, he's just going repeatedly, uh, in spite of the fact he's already told Jeremiah, they're going to have deaf ears. Yep. But you go and tell them. Yep. But you go and tell them again. Yep. You go and tell them again. Yep. You go and tell them again. Yep. And, 
in the tribulation period, God sends out 144,000 Jewish witnesses, the two witnesses there at the Temple Mount, an angel going round and round the world preaching repentance. And what did it say in Revelation 16? No, we're not going to repent. You can't make us. What's that light show all about? Yeah, what happens before will happen again. So it says in verse 11, Now therefore speak to the men of Judah and about the inhabitants of Jerusalem, saying, What's that word saying? It's a quote. Thus said the Lord, Behold. What does behold mean? Shut up and listen. This is really important. Don't miss this. I told you before. I'm telling you again. But I wish you'd listen. Yep. I am preparing or fashioning a disaster. Historically, it's talking about Babylon's third invasion where they're going to kill everybody left. So God's saying, I told you it's going to happen. I've told you it's going to happen. I'm telling you again it's going to happen. I'm devising it. But he just said that when I tell you I'm devising a plan of destruction, if you instantly start repenting, then I won't do it. So he's saying, click, here's the starting bell. Is this to us too? Is this to us too? You bet it is. Mm-hmm. Behold, I'm fashioning a disaster and devising a plan against you. Repent. Well, it says return, but that's what it means is repent. It is the verb shuvu. But it says in the English here, return now. And that's not what the Hebrew says. The Hebrew says, atah, which is now, shuvu, repent, and the na is please. So what the English should read is now, repent, please. So the return or repent's a command, and the na that follows it is a plea. It's like God's down on his proverbial knees begging the children of Israel, don't make me do it. There's still time. You can still repent. Please. So now, return, repent, please, everyone from his evil way, and make your ways and your doings good. And now let's go back to chapter 17 and see all that God has asked of them. All that he's asked. Go back to chapter 17 in Jeremiah verse 21, just very quickly. Thus says the Lord, take heed to yourselves and bear no burden on the Sabbath day, nor bring it in by the gates of Jerusalem. Nor carry a burden out of your houses on the Sabbath day, nor do any work. But hallow the Sabbath day as I commanded your fathers. But they did not obey nor incline their ear, but made their neck stiff that they might not hear nor receive instruction. And it shall be if you heed, if you heed me carefully, says the Lord, to bring no burden through the gates of the city on the Sabbath day, but hallow the Sabbath day to do no work in it. Then shall enter the gates of this city kings and princes sitting on the throne of David, riding on chariots and on horses, they and their princes, accompanied by the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and this city shall remain forever. 
and they shall come from the cities of Judah and from the places around Jerusalem, from the land of Benjamin and from the lowland, from the mountains and from the south, bringing burnt offerings and sacrifices, grain offerings and incense, bringing sacrifices of praise to the house of the Lord. But if you will not heed me, to hallow the Sabbath day, such as not carrying a burden when entering the gates of Jerusalem on the Sabbath day, then I will kindle a fire in its gates, and it shall devour the palaces of Jerusalem, and it shall not be quenched. Then God says, I laid it out for you in no uncertain terms. Repent or die. And in verse 12, I want you to see the answer. It says, and they said. So this is their reply to God's plea. In the English it says, that is hopeless. That's a better way to translate it. That, that is your warning, is of no use. Warning us to repent is of no use. Meaning what? We will not hear you. The next word says so. That's not the word. The word is key in Hebrew. It means because. Your call to repentance is of no use because. We will walk according to our own plans and we will everyone obey the dictates of his evil heart. Meaning what? We're going to do what we want to do. And you can just stop calling us to repent. You're wasting your breath. We will not do it. When you look at the words that say this is hopeless, it's actually of no use, uh-huh. Yeah. God quit being so desperate. Yeah, the word is noash. Noash. Yeah. Literally, God is pleading with them and they're saying, you're wasting your breath. They are purposely thumbing their nose at God. Turn to Revelation 16. What's happened before will happen again. Kind of scary how they're talking to God. They're talking to God exactly like they said, that God will never do anything to us. He's just blowing smoke. They're almost taunting him. Yeah, they're really, I wouldn't even say almost taunting him. They're taunting him. They're waving the red flag in front of the bull. Aren't they? In essence, they're saying, God, you're just a man like us. In essence, yeah, they're saying that we don't have to listen to you. You won't do anything about it. You're just all talk, you'll win back. How do you want to be standing next to them come judgment day? Uh-uh. Yeah, <laughs> but look at Revelation chapter 16, verse 8. Then the fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and powers came to scorch men with fire, and men were scorched with great heat, and they blasphemed the name of God who has power over these plagues, and they did not repent and give him glory. 
Then the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and his kingdom became full of darkness, and they gnawed their tongues because of the pain. They blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, and did not repent of their deeds. What happened in the days of Jeremiah when Israel said, quit wasting your breath, we ain't going to do it. God destroyed them in each and every one. What's going to happen in Revelation chapter 16 when they thumb their nose at God and say, no, we're not going to repent. You can't make us. Watch Raiders of the Lost Ark. Watch Raiders of the Lost Ark, right, from Zechariah chapter 14. Okay, so let's go back to Jeremiah 18, verse 12. And you can see, too, why God would tell Jeremiah... You can see, too, why God would tell Jeremiah, what's it been, at least three times, don't pray for this people anymore. They're already turned over to a reprobate mind. That's from Romans chapter 1, right? Yeah. yeah. Their mind's made up. They're not going to change it. They prefer... Well, I won't say they prefer God's judgment. They don't believe that God will judge. So in verse 12, if I were to summarize this in modern English, I would say they refuse to obey the Lord because they choose to continue to walk in sin. Let's go up to Peter's writings again. Does that strike you like something that Peter wrote? Yep, Second Thessalonians chapter 2, when they're turned over the spirit of delusion. Yeah. So let's just look at that. Go to Second Thessalonians 2. We'll do that one. In Second Thessalonians chapter 2, starting in verse 8. Then the lawless one, not a lawless one, but the lawless one, referring to Daniel chapter 7, verse 25, that we call the false messiah, antichrist, or beast of Revelation 13, will be revealed whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. That's in Revelation chapter 19. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders. And with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because, here's why they perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth. What is truth? Torah, Psalm 119, verse 142, that they might be saved. And for this reason, what reason? Because they do not want to be obedient to God. God will send them strong delusion they should believe the lie, that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Meaning, they're having too much fun in their sin. They're not going to give it up, no matter what God has to say about it. People today, by and large, are even taught. People today, by and large, are even taught? That there is no hell. Everybody's going to heaven. That there is no hell. Everybody's going to heaven. Didn't the Pope just say that when he envisions hell, he sees it as empty because, you have a, because of God's love. You have a heaven for the American Indians. 
you have one for Muslims, you have one for the Catholics, and you have one for the Protestants. It's all different, so just pick the one you want to go to. That's the modern teaching. Yep. Now go to Second Peter chapter 2. I just can't let Peter go. Beginning in chapter 2 of Second Peter in verse 1. So Second Peter chapter 2 verse 1. Because it goes right along with what Bob is saying. But there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them and bring on themselves swift destruction, and many will follow their destructive ways, because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. Do any of the well-known ministries of today blaspheme anyone who wants to follow God's commandments? By covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words. For a long time, their judgment has not been idle and their destruction does not slumber. For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell, it's Tartarus actually, not hell, and deliver them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment, and did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly, etc., etc., etc. Meaning what? Judgment will come. Verse 10, and especially those who walk according to the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise the authority. Okay, back to Jeremiah. Well, if I'm not careful, I'm going to get preachy. Jeremiah 18, 12, the people say, stop wasting your breath. We're not going to repent because we don't want to. Verse 13, whoa. There's more I want to look at for verse 12. How about that? Let's go to Genesis chapter 6. Genesis chapter 6. Don't want to get ahead of myself. Genesis chapter 6 is all, all the way back to the time of Noah. We did just read about Noah in 2 Peter. Genesis chapter 6 verse 5. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. And that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Is our world getting to that point? Genesis chapter 8 verse 21. Genesis chapter 8 verse 21. And the Lord smelled a soothing aroma. That aroma is from the altar that Noah built and the sacrifices on it. Notice in verse 20, sacrificing what? Pigs and shrimp? No. Every clean animal and every clean bird. Verse 21, the Lord smelled a soothing aroma. The Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground for man's sake. Although the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth, nor will I again destroy every living thing as I have done. 
While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, and day and night shall not cease. Proverbs chapter 12. Proverbs chapter 12. Verse 20. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 20. Deceit is in the heart of those who devise evil. The counselors of peace have joy. If deceit is in the heart of those who devise evil, who is the author of lies? Satan. So it is the deceitfulness of Hasatan, the evil one, that causes men to continually want to devise wickedness. Ecclesiastes chapter 9. Ecclesiastes should be right after Proverbs because it was written by Solomon. Ecclesiastes chapter 9 verse 3. This is an evil that is done under the sun, that one thing happens to all. That means that all die. Truly the hearts of the sons of men are full of evil. Madness is in their hearts while they live, and after that they go to the dead. So if you're following after the dictates of your heart, and the heart is evil, is it going to lead you toward God? No. It's going to lead you away. Jeremiah 7.24 Jeremiah 7.24 God calls the people to repent. What does it say in verse 24? It says, Yet they did not obey or incline their ear but followed the counsels and the dictates of their evil hearts and went backward, not forward. I mean, they didn't repent because they didn't want to. They didn't want to stop sinning, so they kept right on sinning. Jeremiah 11. We're doing this because God said, I told you, I told you, I told you. Jeremiah 11, he did. Jeremiah chapter 11, verse 8. Verse 7 says, I earnestly exhorted your fathers, obey my voice. Verse 8, yet they did not obey or incline their ear. But everyone followed the dictates of his evil heart. Jeremiah 13, verse 10. This evil people who refused to hear my words, who followed the dictates of their heart, do you see a theme? Jeremiah 16, verse 12. And you have done worse than your fathers. For behold, each one follows the dictates of his own evil heart so that no one listens to me. What's the next word? Therefore. Unless you think this is the last time we're going to hear God say this, go to Jeremiah 23, 17. Jeremiah 23, 17. 
referring to the false prophets. He says, they continually say to those who despise me, the Lord has said you shall have peace. And to everyone who walks according to the dictates of his own heart, they say, no evil shall come upon you. Is that not what you hear from so many ministries today? How many say, repentance, that's a work. You're trying to be saved by works. You can't repent. It shows you have no faith if you repent. Why did God say 58 times in the New Testament to repent? So we'd repent. Go to Zechariah chapter 7. Zechariah chapter 7, verse 10. This is the Lord of hosts speaking. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the alien or the poor. Let none of you plan evil in his heart against his brother. Let none of you want plan evil in his heart against his brother. And Zechariah chapter 8 verse 7. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, I will save my people from the land of the east and from the land of the west. I will bring them back and they shall dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. They shall be my people and I will be their God in what? In truth and righteousness. Is God looking for us to follow the evil dictates of our own hearts or to walk in his paths like one flock following one shepherd in the way of the Lord? Let's look also at Matthew chapter 9. Oh, oh, wait a minute. That's in the New Testament. Yes, it is. How many times have I been told, Wayne, if you would just read the New Testament, you'd see. Matthew chapter 9, verses 3 and 4. And at once, some of the scribes said within themselves, this man blasphemes. Blasphemes, why? What did he say? He said to the man, your sins are forgiven you. And he said, oh no! But Yeshua, knowing their thoughts, said, why do you think evil in your heart? Where were they thinking evil? In their hearts. Matthew 12. Yeah, yeah. Matthew 12, 34 and 35. Would you believe he's again talking to the scribes and Pharisees? Yes, he is. Brood of vipers. If Messiah ever calls you that, you know you're on the wrong side of things. How can you, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. A good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, brings forth good things. And an evil man, out of the evil treasure, brings forth evil things. If man's unregenerate heart is evil, how do we get the heart to be a heart of goodness? Repent. Repent. Repentance. 
Isn't that the same thing you told the people? In Ezekiel 18, it absolutely is. Get yourself a new heart. Get yourself a new heart. Circumcision in the heart is what? It's repentance resulting in obedience. Hmm. Isn't there a verse that says repentance leading to salvation? The answer is, well, yes, there is. Let's go to Matthew chapter 15, verse 19. How much do you want to bet the words are read again? For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies, etc. What's he trying to say? Why do we do such wickedness? Because we choose to. Until we get saved, get a regenerate heart. Hebrews chapter 3. If I keep reading on, in Matthew 15, that is the essence of uncleanness. It's not the pig that makes you unclean. It's the rebellion that says, I don't care that God told me not to eat it. I'm going to do it anyway. That's what he's trying to tell you. He told him, you strain a gnat to swallow a camel. Yeah. But he's, he's saying like... You strain a gnat to swallow a camel, but he's saying that? He's saying like, if you would just obey the word... If you would just obey the word... Then you would have a, a complete understanding of what... Then you would have a complete understanding. But, Daniel, you forget. Paul told us to keep walking in sin. Go to 1 Corinthians 15, then we'll get to Hebrews. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Paul never said anything like that. 1 Corinthians 15. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? That's Romans chapter 6 verse 1. What shall we say then? Does our faith make the law void? Certainly not. That's Romans 3.31. But look at 1 Corinthians 15.34. Awake to righteousness and do not sin. Gee, that sounds kind of like repent. That's exactly what it says. Stop sinning. Now go to Hebrews 3. Hebrews chapter 3, starting in verse 7. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, as who says? The Holy Spirit, which means this has got to be true. Today, if, see that little word, if, if you will hear his voice, what does it mean to hear his voice? It means to be obedient to God. Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. In the day of trial in the wilderness, notice the emphasis on the heart. If you want to hear him, if you want to be obedient, you've got to soften the heart. For your fathers tested me and tried me, saw my works forty years. Therefore I was angry with that generation and said they always go astray in their heart. 
and they have not known my ways, so I swore in my wrath they shall not enter my rest. Beware, brethren. Who are brethren? Talking to believers. Lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in what? Departing from the living God. Why does one depart from the living God? Because of unbelief. But exhort one another daily while it's called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Does any of that sound like you can keep continuing in sin and won't hurt you none? He's saying get away from it. Absolutely true. Back to Jeremiah. Chapter 18. Verse 13. Therefore, what does therefore mean? Because you said, shut up. Quit telling us to repent. We're going to do what we want. Yeah. I I paraphrase. (laughs) Therefore, thus says the Lord. This is the Lord's response to their saying, we'll do what we want. Ask now among the Gentiles who has heard such things. The virgin of Israel has done a very horrible thing. That word virgin, the phrase the virgin of Israel, is a reference to the bride. That this is the betrothed bride of God. Telling God, I will do nothing that you tell me to do. Husbands, as you're walking down the aisle at your wedding, don't you want to hear your wife's vows say, You can just shut up. I ain't going to do nothing you tell me, but marry me anyway. How many of you would have said, let me think about this for a minute. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 2. And God's saying, even the Gentiles wouldn't talk to the false gods that way, right? Think about Nebuchadnezzar. When when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were bowing down to that false god, he was ready to he was ready to throw him into the fire yeah you can't even treat the false gods that way and yet you're going to treat the true and living God like that 2 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 2 2 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 2 for I am jealous for you with godly jealousy for I betrothed you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Messiah. What does God want? A chaste virgin. An innocent. One that's pure. One that's clean. Revelation 19.8 We see again the chaste virgin. The pure bride of God. Revelation 19, verses 7 and 8. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. What's the opposite of righteousness? Lawlessness. Is God looking for a lawless? Let me be careful my choice of words. 
Not nice bride. No. Certainly not. Back to Jeremiah. Chapter 18, verse 14. Something else interesting too is what? That word virgin is betula. Mm -hmm. As opposed to Alma in Isaiah chapter 7. It means specifically a virgin. Yeah. Because God says when you engage in idolatry, that's adultery, you're no longer betula. You're no longer the virgin. He doesn't want one who's been with another. Okay, verse 14. Will a man leave the snow water of Lebanon? Talking about at Banyas, up at Caesarea Philippi. That's the headwaters of the Jordan River. The water begins to flow as the, as the snow mounts on Mount Hermon. So when you're up there at the headwaters, the water is so cold and so pure and so clean. It's absolutely wonderful. Well, a man leave the snow water of Lebanon. And of course, it's flowing living water, which pictures what? The Holy Spirit. And that's what God is talking about here. Which comes from the rock in a field. Will the cold, will the cold flowing waters be forsaken for strange waters? So will you leave the cold, the clean, the fresh, the pure, which represents the Holy Spirit, and go after water that's dirty, that's filthy, that's not healthy. And that's what you're doing when you turn away from the true and living God and his Holy Spirit to go after the pagan idols and to walk in the sins of the world. And with that, we've come to the end of our time. We'll pick up next week, Lord willing, in Jeremiah chapter 18, verse 15.